Are you ready to tap into becoming your best self? That's what we do here on the Me I Want to Be podcast. So let's jump right in. I'm super excited that I've hit the three month mark on podcasting. And as I jump into number 13, I wanted to thank you all for listening. It means a lot to me. And I want you to know that you matter. So today I've put together a podcast about creating a life that matters and the elements you need for that journey. Some of this may be redundant, but it all goes together. So bear with me. Early on in my journey of self-discovery, I quickly learned that as individuals, we can get very comfortable in our stories, in our way of life, and even in our pain. And making a change, being transformed, and rising above that pain, those stories, the life that's not bringing us joy, it's downright hard. It's not for everyone. Many people will stay right in that comfortable place of discomfort. But people like us, who are driven in most everything we do, have something else stirring up inside of us. We want to be better, just like we want this world to be a better place. When I work with clients, I share that there are four requisites to sustainable change. Getting rid of the negative, having a goal, taking action, and staying focused. The fact that you listen means you have a willingness and desire to improve your life. But with all that life hands us, you may be taking care of the needs of others before your own. Today, I want to focus on what you need to find and bring your best self to your life and figure out how you can experience harmony, peace, and joy while doing it. The acronym I'm going to use is the word MATTER. The first letter is M for motivation. The term motivation describes why a person does something. It's the driving force behind human actions. When was the last time you checked in on why you are in your career, why you're in your relationship? Most people will quickly give a knee-jerk response and may even go into a deeper explanation depending on the audience or they may answer how they think they are supposed to based on the expectations of others. Knowing your why helps direct the big picture of your life and then the tactical parts of your life as well. As individuals, this is a moving target because life evolves and or we meet our goals. So we have to reevaluate or we become stagnant, burned out or lose enthusiasm. A big picture why would be For me, why did I start my business? And then a tactical why would relate to why I started a podcast within my business. So let me help you understand the importance of knowing your why. How many of you have ever procrastinated on a project? I've got both of my hands up. I would say I am definitely a procrastinator. There are three primary reasons people procrastinate. They don't want to fail. They don't want to be rejected and they want to do it perfectly. Knowing your why gets you to push through your fears and self-imposed expectations on those hard tasks or projects, and it helps you get to the finish line. So let me give you an example. I just started this podcast for my business, but also to serve those who may not be able to afford coaching. It's something that's been on my heart for about 18 months. I felt extremely called to do this podcast. As you know, I'm a Christian, and this was confirmed for me in many ways. I jumped in and produced two podcasts immediately, had some friends listen, 
And then I asked my mom for approval because, you know, it involves her as well. She gave me her blessing. All systems were lining up until they didn't. Two things happened. My business coach advised me to change the name of my podcast. And then I had a major life crisis that stopped me in my tracks and diverted my attention to my kids. One year later, I felt that calling again. But my business coach's voice was now in my head and procrastination grabbed hold of me. I did everything I could to move around starting a podcast. I renamed it, made artwork, listened to all kinds of people tell me how to get started, and yet I wasn't recording. I could have stopped trying, but a podcast kept pulling on my heart. I had to figure out my why because trying to help others wasn't getting me to record episodes and launch a podcast. I had to put a face and a name on my why. It came down to helping one person. And it was someone who had listened to my original two recordings and was profoundly moved and said it was just what he needed, that he was inspired and couldn't wait to hear more. He's a young man that used to work with me, who has a challenging origin story, who's like a son to me. I needed to know my why. And every time I get stuck, I look at his picture and I remind myself I am doing this for him. Life is not a straight, unencumbered path. There are so many things that we have to overcome, experience, and move through to get down the road of our lives. Nor is it a river that we can just float down without any thought. Knowing your deepest level why will ultimately help you when you hit road bumps. Life throws you a curveball. Or you lose your way and you're just floating along. You all know I've talked about this many times. My suggestion on this is to ask yourself seven times the question why. For me, it started with why do you want to start a podcast all the way to why do you want your life to stand for something? And helping just one person for me was all I needed. Then I put a name on that person to make it personal. So try this out for size in various areas of your life, especially those places where you experience a low level of energy where you feel most burned out or challenged. See if this can reignite you, or perhaps it won't. That may mean you need to change your goal unless it keeps pulling on your heart like the podcast did for me. Then you need to dig a little deeper. This also helps me say no to things. You see, life is like a puzzle. We have all these pieces that we're trying to fit together to make the picture of our life. If you can't find your deepest level why that motivates you, then maybe that puzzle piece doesn't belong to you and you need to let it go. Grab another one. The next letter is A for attitude. Attitude is a way of thinking or feeling about someone or something, one that is reflected in a person's behavior. So let's break that down. Most people don't realize that their thoughts create their emotions, not the other way around. Thoughts create emotions and emotions create our actions. Yet the first thing that hits us is the emotion because the majority of our thoughts are unconscious. Most of us have a constant stream of thoughts running in the back of our minds from sun up to sundown. And this inner voice has plenty to say about how we look, act, think, and feel. If you're gonna categorize all the thoughts about you in one day as either compassionate or critical, which category would you pick? The majority of people would say critical. Those unconscious thoughts are called self-talk. Some of it we hear, but most of it we ignore. And it can be positive or negative. But it's really easy to slip into those negative thought patterns. This is because our thought patterns are learned. 
what we think on a regular basis changes our brain structure, making it easier to unconsciously repeat the same thoughts and ideas. I heard Michelle Obama say that she tells her kids that the way you act is what you're practicing for life. So if you repeatedly think or act like you can't do something, you're practicing that you can't do something. If you feel left out, you're practicing feeling left out. In other words, the more you tell yourself anything negative, like you aren't good enough, the easier it is to think and believe it. But this also means you have the power to change your brain function and train your self-talk to be more compassionate, to be more positive. One way to do this is through positive affirmations. Affirmations are phrases you repeat to yourself to cultivate a more positive self-view. Things like, I am worthy, I am capable, I am loving are all positive affirmations. And once again, why is this important? Let me tell you a story about a dog. I wonder how many of you out there have a dog. I like to think of our unconscious mind in two ways. First, it's like we have an onboard supercomputer right in between our ears. It comes pre-programmed with how to keep our bodies functioning, but everything else is learned. We'll call that the programs, similar to adding Photoshop, TurboTax, and Microsoft Word. We also add in our experience, which is like browsing the net. And we have all these cookies, our history. We add in files, photos, and videos. They're all stored. We're not shown how to do a disk cleanup, nor do we have the ability to go buy a new computer. We only get one, and it has to last a lifetime. So it can get kind of messy, cluttered, and bogged down. This can lead to burnout and overwhelm. And that's where the dog comes into play. Our unconscious mind is also like a dog that we initially train, definitely potty training, where to sleep, and when to eat are all a given. But other things you do consistently also train your dog. And just like a baby cries, a dog barks to let you know it's hungry has to go outside, wants your attention, or alerts you to things that scare the dog. And after that initial training, the dog is part of the family. Very rarely do we stay focused on this training. You control your conscious mind, and your unconscious mind is like Clifford the Big Red Dog, and he's your best friend. So what happens when the dog consistently barks? If the dog is fed and has gone out, we may tell it to stop, but as time goes on, it can become annoying or we can get busy or distracted and try to ignore the barking. Our unconscious mind is just like that dog. We're trained on the basics and so many things in between. And Clifford is our best friend. He'll do anything we tell him to do. And yet he barks. He may bark at us all the time. And most of it, we ignore it. We've grown accustomed to it. That barking is our emotional reaction to our self-talk. And we have learned to tune it out and push it down. I was just on a walk with a friend. We were caught up in a conversation, not really paying attention. And her dog starts to bark, then shot off at a squirrel and brutally yanked her arm. She didn't have time to respond to that bark because it happened so quickly. She was pretty mad. And once she reprimanded the dog and got him to sit down, she went to give him a treat for sitting. And I asked her, why would you give the dog a treat when he just did something wrong? But that's what we do. I do it with myself in the kitchen all the time. When I think a project feels hard, I walk away feeling like I can't do it. That's the barking and AKA I'm procrastinating. So I walk in and fix myself a snack. 
I reward my procrastination. Sound familiar to anyone? How many times do you think I do this? But something stored in our computer that we've learned is emotionally triggering us, and then we bark. And sometimes that bark happens quick or gets big. And then our actions inadvertently hurt someone or it hurts us, like my unnecessary snacking hurts me. Remember, our thoughts, conscious or unconscious, those words we say to ourselves direct our emotions, and our emotions direct our actions. We've learned to tune out our thoughts and push our emotions down, which is why we don't always know why we react the way we do. And that's where affirmations come in. Figure out what you say to yourself the most and write it down the opposite. Put it on sticky notes and plaster them everywhere. Each time you start the negative, interrupt and flip the script to, I'm good enough, I'm worthy, I'm lovable, I'm fabulous. I may have eaten that snack, but I know it and I'll do better next time. The next letter is T for time. That phrase, time is money, is so accurate. You can't buy time, make time, or get it to stop or slow down. It is what it is. I don't know about you, but I needed a wake-up call when it came to managing my time. There's a book called 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals by Oliver Berkman. And he says that the average human lifespan is very brief. As of today, it's 80, which means you have just over 4,000 weeks in your life. Well, I'm turning 60 in a few months, and I don't like those numbers. I've got good genes in my family, so I plan to live a lot longer than 80. But assuming this number is true, let's do the math on how many weeks we have left. So I'm going to do my numbers. So if you're 60, sit back and relax. Start by picking your lifespan estimate. So right now that's 80. Then take your age times 52. I'm 60, so here's my number, 3,120. That's how many weeks I've already lived. So subtract your lifespan estimate from that number, and that's an estimate of how many weeks you have left to live. If I go with the average of 80, I only have 1,040 weeks left. That's pretty scary, and yes, a wake-up call. As an almost 60-year-old mom with a 14-year-old daughter in the house, that's a strong motivator for getting me to the gym four days a week. Here's where I want to introduce the idea of perceived discipline when it comes to time. My first thought about myself is that I'm not a very disciplined person. But then again, I do work out four days a week like clockwork. You just learned my why. It's also on my calendar. I also go to church every week and I have on average 10 client meetings each week. And all of this is on my calendar along with me and my children's appointments and events. So it seems like I'm disciplined, but that's a hard no. These are all just appointments that I put on my calendar. And I truly live and breathe by my calendar. Most people do. Here's what I'm not so good at. I'm not great at calling my mom or dad, taking my girls out for a one-on-one -on -one lunch or dinner, or planning friend time or vacation. Nor do I schedule my journaling, walks, or the time I'd like to spend out in nature. And those tennis lessons I've wanted to do for six months haven't happened. My personal life is not planned as well as my professional life. And my personal life is usually what suffers the most in my life, along with my self-care, as is the case for most of my clients. You may feel this way too. Just recently, I had to implement time blocking. It's a new concept for me and an idea you may want to explore. I'm trying this for my podcast, 
so my clients can't book me at the last minute and gobble up my days, or I end up spending my evenings podcasting. That's when my thoughts go to, I don't want to do this at night. I'm tired. And that makes me emotionally frustrated. It makes the process less enjoyable, which shifts me away from being service oriented and putting out my best product. So that's one tactic to try on, but here's how I'm getting more disciplined around time. And I heard this from my favorite podcaster, Ed Milet. First, I created a list of what robs my time. For me, this is social media, email, snacking, children randomly needing things, texting, surfing the internet, online shopping. I could just go on and on. Then I created three columns. First is eliminate, second reduce, and third is schedule and stack. I can't eliminate my children, but I can eliminate my unwanted snacking and schedule in the two snacks I allocate for myself. I like social media, surfing the net, and online shopping. This could be reduced and then scheduled or stacked. Even email and texting has a time and a place versus allowing email and texting to interrupt my day. So I put everything on my list into one of these columns. And I also realized I have never in my professional career put on my schedule when I eat. It's always a given that you eat around 12 to 1. Not anymore. I think COVID and remote work changed all that. If I don't schedule my lunch and snack time, I don't get a lunch. And this may be true for a lot of you. Company culture is to book other people's calendars with meetings. And if the time slot is open, it's fair game. I also have learned to stack things up where it works. My snack time is also my text time. My lunch is also my reading time. My walks are talking to my friends or listening to a podcast time, or sometimes it's my silent time. All of this is now scheduled on my calendar. I'm going to tell you 8 p.m. at my house is me time, and it's one of my favorite parts of my day. I get to watch TV, surf the net, online shop, or do anything I want to do. Now here's the best way to be perceived as disciplined. All of the above is about scheduling your daily activities into your day and knowing how you spend your time. It got me to blend in my personal life and to be aware of my time robbers. But here's the secret to other people thinking you're disciplined. I now schedule on my calendar an every other week call to my mom and dad. One of my close friends moved out of town. We slowly are starting to drift apart. She is now scheduled on my calendar for a monthly catch-up call. I can't lose that friendship. She's too important to me. All of these things I now schedule are those little promises I used to make to myself, but time slips away and I don't do them. I'm then filled with regret and those people that I say are so important don't really feel important. I'm rushing around my kids versus finding quality time to be with my kids. I started my own business so I could have more freedom, yet time keeps whipping by and I really haven't changed my social behavior or my time management. Time is truly finite. The most important thing to me is my relationships. And that has not been reflected in my day-to-day -day living. Yet trying out this new practice not only makes me feel like I'm in more control, it gives me more confidence because I'm doing what I say I'm going to do. And the people who are important to me are now beginning to feel it too. It's good all around. Now I slip from time to time, but once again, this is a practice to implement that over time will become habitual. Right now it's awkward and mechanical, but pretty soon it's just going to be my new world order. 
you can start adding in one element that resonates with you and build from there. The next letter is T for totality. The totality of your life. Everything I've talked about so far gets us to this place. When I work with clients, I like to get a sense of how they view their life categories. For me, I break it down in six ways. First is family, which for me includes friends. Next is intimate relationship, that relationship you have with your spouse or your significant other, or for me, it's dating. Three is career, where you make money, or it could be your business. Fourth is health, what you put in your body and how you treat your body. Fifth is spirituality. For me, it's being a Christian. For others, it may be energy, source, or whatever else they believe in. And then six is personal development. That's your mind and emotional development. However you slice it, that's the totality of your life. And then with my clients, I have them rate their level of satisfaction within each area. Something important that we all need to realize is that the balance we want between all these aspects of life is really not a reality. You can never divide your 100% of you by six and put 16.67% into each area. That's why I use the word harmony versus balance. My life will never be perfectly balanced, but it can have harmony. Like a symphony working together, one or more instruments may play together, or sometimes there's a solo act with a light sense of background activity. For me, harmony is doable. Balance is not. Once my clients rate their life categories, I ask them which area of life is the hardest for them. And if they could focus on that one, how would it impact their life? For most of us, one area is more of a mess than others. And yet sometimes life throws you a lot of lemons. You may be feeling like you have more than one problem area. That was me. I experienced a divorce, COVID, and a job loss all within a two-year span. And this played havoc on my children, my self-worth, and my checkbook. As a parent, I was most worried about my teenage girls, and I knew I could not fix or change them or their situation. I had to take a hard look at me as their mother and get right with myself so I could be the mom they needed and I wanted to be. Focusing the majority of my energy on personal development not only allowed me to become the mom I wanted to be, it completely transformed my life and had a trickle-down effect on so many other areas of my life that's been profound. Each of the three words we just described, motivation, attitude, and time, can help bring harmony to the totality of your life as it ties right into how to achieve sustainable change. Attitude is your thoughts, and it's about getting rid of the negative. Motivation is your emotional why, and time is part of what's reflected in your actions. But as the saying goes, you cannot eat an elephant in one bite. You cannot fix the totality of your life in one try. You have to uncover your greatest issue and then follow the four-step process for sustainable change. Use your why, adjust your attitude, and focus your time on this area. When you change, the people around you change too. Depending on your situation, all of the things I'm talking about can feel like a lot. For some of you, doing it on your own can have an impact for you. Others, they may need to get some help. Oftentimes, just acknowledging you have a problem is the best place to start. Then decide if you can do it on your own, or you may be like me. I needed help. My issues were pretty big. The next letter is E for enjoy. 
Enjoy means take delight or pleasure in an activity or occasion. This takes me back to my calendar. If it's not scheduled, it's not happening. And I'm not taking delight or pleasure in activities and occasions as much as I want to, to truly fill me up. I don't know about you, but I'd like to be overflowing with joy. I need a lot of joy to offset all the hard stuff. One of the hardest things about having my own business is the flow of incoming money. I used to have a consistent paycheck, and now that I don't have that, I miss it. Early on in my business, I had a lot of anxiety about money and all the things I didn't have anymore or couldn't afford to buy or do. And then someone told me about writing my Christmas wish list. As young children, we used to make a holiday wish list. There were no rules about creating a list of what we wanted. It could be ridiculously expensive or simple and small. Most children, when they're really young, have no idea how much things cost. There is just pure joy in writing down and hoping they'll get everything they desire. We stopped doing this as adults. I know I did, because we start buying and doing those things we want. We have enough money to do it ourselves, until we don't anymore. We don't have time. We don't have the money. My thoughts were reminding me that I used to be able to buy and do whatever I wanted because I made a lot of money. Those thoughts led me to an emotional pity party about all the things I wasn't able to do anymore. And my actions were just to do nothing. I jumped on a merry-go-round and just kept spinning around. I think this is pretty common out there in the world. What we don't have can put us into a spin cycle. I would love to challenge all of you to jump off your merry-go-round and make a holiday wish list of all the things you want in your life. You may be surprised, like I was, that not only can you afford them, they are doable. Most of the things on my list didn't cost any money. It was time, time that I could schedule if I wanted joy. I had to learn to say no to things that were not serving me well, which is still hard for me. You are the only one holding on to what brings you joy and what keeps you from joy. That's not on anyone else. For me, I was used to going on a one to two week vacation. I couldn't afford that anymore, but I could afford one or two nights at a local venue. I had to make a choice to shift my mindset about how I could get away or I could continue to spin. Jack Canfield has a great book called The Success Principles, and he suggests writing a list of 20 to 30 things you enjoy doing or envisioning areas of your life and writing down what you want your life to look like from finances to your house to the people you surround yourself with. What about a bucket list? How many of you have that list of big dreams? written down that you're tackling before you're too old to do them. So make a joy list. What do you enjoy doing? Who do you enjoy being with? And how can you bring some of this into your life? Maybe in a different way that works with your current situation. You won't know until you ask yourself and write it down. The list may surprise you like it did for me. The other thing that happened when I did this, and it may happen to you, is that I realized I struggled with putting things on my list. When you have hard times or are stuck in an unfulfilling life, I think you may stop dreaming and wishing for things because you can't be too happy or life has a way of bringing you back down. This thinking is a self-fulfilling prophecy that I had to work hard to eliminate. And even though I did eliminate it, I still wasn't dreaming. I had to give myself permission to dream. I'm a work in progress in this area. And that leads me to the next letter, which is R. And it's for the richness of who you are. I found this quote by Brene Brown. You are imperfect and you're wired for struggle. 
but you are worthy of love and belonging. I love that quote because we are all imperfect and we are wired for struggle. But when you think and feel that way, it's hard to believe you are worthy. There's a lot of definitions about self-worth, but I like this one. It's an internal state of being that comes from understanding, loving, and accepting ourselves. It's directly linked to how much you value yourself, regardless of what others say or feel. After all the work I've done, this is still one of the most challenging areas for me, and I know it is for my clients, to feel like they are enough, that they are worthy. It made me think about how we learn to value money because it's easy for us to understand. The price of gas here in Washington and California is about $4.90 on average, whereas in Texas, Tennessee, and Oklahoma, it's just $3.18. Probably the same variance for any commodity. The value of a dollar ranges by more than 30 cents across the U.S. In Mississippi, it's worth $1.16. In Hawaii, it's only worth $0.84. Cents. The value of the dollar is constantly changing, and it varies from state to state. I've been wrestling with this. The value of money fluctuates. As humans, are we like this too? How do you know your value, your worth, the richness of who you are? Is it based on your family, your status, your health, your education, your job, your bank account? your lifespan? Or is it based on what you're capable of, how you think, how you act, or what you do? Is there this fluctuation or average among people? It's hard to wrap your brain around. So I want to ask you a question and grab hold of what comes to mind. If you failed at something, what does that say about you? For me, the immediate words are, I'm not good enough. I got to believe that most of us feel something negative when it comes to failure and being accepted as we are. Imagine that there is a perfect job out there for each of you. It pays more than any position you've ever had, and you are the perfect person for the job. Each one of us was given a job, and that is to be you. For me, it's Karen Patricelli. I am the perfect person for that job. No one else can do it like me. And it's my job to do it to the best of my ability. Because the payment I get for that is my children love on me. My family and friends love on me. I serve like-minded people and I see their world transformed. I am blessed beyond measure. Money cannot buy any of this for me. It cannot buy love. Money can buy me stuff. What I'm talking about, it's priceless. My daughter hugged me on Sunday. It was the first hug she freely gave me in over a year, and she held on tight. That was like getting a raise. I will work harder and better because she loves me. Everything I know about human behavior and how the mind works, I know for a fact that this is a learned behavior. We've been programmed to believe we're not good enough. We're not deserving of having a life of harmony, a life of peace, and a life of joy. My clients don't see their worth or the richness of their lives. I suggest they dust off their professional resume, update it, and add in their strengths and accomplishments. Then look at their personal life in 10-year segments and write down all the positive memories they have. For some reason, most of us remember the negative much easier. Then I have them ask one to three people, 
what they like and think about them, and have those people respond in an email, text, or voicemail. I had my friend Jean do this for me, and I still have it. I don't see myself like she does, but because she loves me, I lean into becoming everything she wrote down about me until I believe it. And if there's something negative plaguing you, you may need to go ask for forgiveness or forgive yourself. And now I want you to clear your mind. And remember, you were born completely worthy when you arrived in this world. And whatever your life circumstances, whatever you've done wrong, you are still worthy. The person next to you is not more worthy. I am not more worthy or more deserving than you are. Whatever your life looks like, you are worthy. Other people have unintentionally thrown all their crap onto you. And at some point, you believed you are less than. These words, I am worthy, may be the most important words for you to believe. And if you don't think so, practice saying them until you believe it. I want you to know that you matter, that what motivates you, your why, matters. Your attitude in life and how you show up matters. Your time and how you spend it matters. The totality of your life matters. What you enjoy matters. The richness of who you are matters. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to dive into some of these categories more deeply because I truly want you to live a life of joy, peace, and abundance. Because to me, you matter. Until next week, Lead with love, my friends.